Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. I am super stoked to introduce to you today's guest. Her name is Jamie Kajoski. Jamie is one of the coolest, funniest, best people in Nashville. I used to work with her at a restaurant. We waited tables together, and she and I used to get into the deepest best conversations ever right in the middle of a really busy Friday night shift, which is always great. So having her on the podcast to me was like a no-brainer. We talked a lot about eating disorders in this podcast. Jamie and I share that in common as part of our story. She's actually someone I used to go to talk about that a lot with when I was too afraid to talk about it in the public world. But yeah, I loved making this podcast so much because we just flowed really good back and forth together talking about all the things. And yeah, I'm super excited for you guys to hear. So enjoy. How is it going, Jay Money? <laughs> I love that nickname because nobody has that nickname for me. And so it's so special. Um, it's going really well, though. <laughs> it's been a very chill quarantine kind of morning. Oh, my gosh. What, how are you doing in quarantine? What's what's your quarantine life like over there? It's such a weird time in the world. It sure is. It sure is. Um, well, I was in Wisconsin for a good chunk of quarantine with my family. Um, I was there for like two and a half months of it. So, um, yeah. And then after that period, I was like, I'm just ready to get back into like my life a little bit because, you know, I just think sometimes when you are like, just stuck in a house like with your family for like a really long time <laughs> love them to death but I was just like I think I just need something new so it was good to get back and get back into things um go back to work not super often but back to work and yeah I feel like for the most part I've been um writing a lot of music and getting ready for some releases I'm putting out and Whoa. reading so Dude, that is amazing. For those who don't know, which probably everyone listening, uh, Jamie is one of my favorite people, favorite people in Nashville. We worked together at a restaurant that I haven't decided if I want to name or not. So <laughs> you'll probably easily figure it out if we have any kind of contact. On there we go. <laughs> but we worked, we waited tables together. She actually trained me on my second day waiting tables. And the first day when I started training I thought I was gonna hate the job I was so pissed and then the second day I got to work with Jamie and I was like oh yeah I can totally hang <laughs> <laughs> yay yeah we were just joking before we started recording because Jamie and I whenever we would work together because we did like team server systems so you'd be like, with like one other partner for the night uh, whenever we would work together, we would always forget we were at work because we would stop serving tapas and just start having these really deep life chats. It was I loved your outlook on just the job itself because you would always, every time I'd see you, you'd just be like, we're not at work. We're just having fun. And then and <laughs> yes. we're just like, we're hanging out with our friends and we're also just like doing some stuff. And it, oh I just love the way you phrased that. And it always put me in a better mood. <laughs> That's perfect. It makes it so much better. We're just here to hang out and like sometimes help someone else that needs it. 
maybe cut some bread. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh my maybe gosh. eat some of the bread. Oh, yeah. All the bread. Jamie, I miss you. <laughs> I know. I miss you, too. Oh I know. We have to we have to hang out in person soon. I feel like quarantine has been so weird. It's like I've just normalized, like, not seeing people. And oh, then I'm see. like, I feel like it's a good time. I can, like, see people that I know have been quarantined and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to make uh, that happen. Absolutely, dude. We're going to plan it. Um, so Jamie, I might ask you how I start most of these, po- well, I always say most of them, every single one of these podcasts, I start by asking what is your, or describe your relationship that you have with your body. Mm. I love that question. Um, well, to start, I, it does change by the day. So I think that's important to note. Um, but my current right now relationship with my body, um, I think it's just general acceptance of flux because I think during quarantine, I've definitely had um, just different things with my body, like, um, you know, like weight gain, weight loss, like just up and down with that. And like, kind of just even feeling a little bit like sick and stuff. I, I don't know. I think there's something about just being more stagnant because I think my body was so used to working like five days a week where I was did not stop moving and then I went from that to like just like sitting all the time um and I mean I work out but it still just doesn't compare so I feel like it's I'm currently in a place of like acceptance of just like and letting my body just kind of act the way like that it's supposed to and trusting that it's going to be okay you know yeah Absolutely. Do you think it's hard to trust our body in whatever natural state that it's in? Because that, that's a big conversation I've been in this year of just like trusting its natural process. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's so hard. And what's crazy is that it shouldn't be so hard because our bodies are always working for us. And that was a big mental shift for me is like, for some reason, I think I don't know, like where my internalized hypochondria came from. But like, <laughs> I, I always just felt like when I got when I was felt like I was getting sick, like it was like my body lashing out at me or something. Um, and sure our body signals us when like something's wrong but even it's signaling us is doing us a favor you know so I think if you change the mindset to like my body is like doing its best for me it's not a fight you know it's literally doing its best all the time to work well like when we get fevers or inflammation it's literally a body's response to something wrong and it's trying to fix it so I don't know that mental shift helped me because I always just felt like when something felt uncomfortable it was wrong in my body you know but really Mm. it's just a natural process do you know what I mean yeah absolutely I learned a lot about that this year too especially with like um when I was in treatment, uh, for those, if any of you are just tuning in slash know nothing about me or this podcast, I was in eating disorder treatment for the first like four and a half-ish months of this year. And a big thing that they talked about was how when you don't eat food for a good amount of time, like when you start to starve yourself, whether it's because you are sick with like the flu or you have an eating disorder or you're on like a diet or something like that, your body doesn't know that. It just thinks that it's starving. And so it goes into starvation mode and it starts holding on to everything that you give it. And it like stops sending different um, energy and whatnot to other things that aren't as necessary, like hair growth or... um, I don't know, stuff like that. It's so interesting, but your body's like literally just trying to keep you alive. That part is so crazy. That was a huge mental shift for me. Um, First of all, I definitely want to... 
obviously like dive into your experience because I haven't gotten to in depth hear about it. And I want to, and whatever you're comfortable sharing, I just really want to hear about that experience for you. But, um, but yeah, no, that was a huge like shift when I heard that just the fact that like when your body's in starvation mode, that it just does whatever it can to survive. And it's just barely like getting by. Like I've been there for like long, prolonged periods of time. And I didn't like know why my hair was just like super thin or why my nails were brittle or whatever. And when I gained weight and I got healthier, like I got like an overabundance of compliments on like my hair and my nails and my skin. And it was like, I forgot like what hell like because I was so afraid of gaining weight that I forgot that I was gaining health back do you know yeah. what I mean oh for sure like once you gain your health back you it's like an irreplaceable it's so, such a better feeling than weight loss or weight gain or anything yeah. it's a it's so much bigger you know it's like once you feel like health being restored you're like oh my god none of the other shit matters it just doesn't like <laughs> you know it's yeah yeah Absolutely. Well, what's, do you mind sharing a bit of your story? I know we've talked a lot about uh, your process because I know you had, you struggled with an eating disorder for a little while, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that and what that looked like? Sure. Yeah. I'm really open about it um, just because I feel like I've done a lot of work with it and I don't necessarily like think I'm over it by any means, but I think it's just a conversation, you know, but yeah, yeah, I started, I would say in high school was the first time I started to restrict my calories. Um, but I didn't do it super unsafely to be honest. When I look back at that time, it was just sort of like, all right, let me just work out more and just like try and not eat like, you know, a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's every night, which, you know, isn't the best every night all the time. (laughs) And so, um, it was, it was a pretty gradual and fine shift and I got in good shape but it was healthy and normal um but then when I got to college I gained a little weight freshman year and you know got insecure about it and I went on this like uh, just health journey, like for the first time where I just made it a big priority. And that was like everything I cared about. So I laid, I lost a bunch of weight, um, too much weight and I lost my period. And that was the beginning of me having lost my period when I was about eight, like 19, maybe, um, 18, 19, somewhere there. And then I didn't get it back until I was 23. So, um, yeah, a long time, um, and a lot, lots of ups and downs. And again, that's why I was saying earlier, like the restoration of your health, like I just got really used to being unhealthy, you know, like my body just adjusted to a new normal. It just adjusted to, um, barely surviving. And that sounds really scary to say out loud, but it's just true, you know? Um, and I didn't. And so once I, my health restored, I just, I realized like the contrast I felt, all I could think was like, this is worth it more than like, no matter how much in the future, I want to go back to old patterns or old behaviors, like, and that happens, you know, um, you start to think like, it's not like I would way rather have health and just cause I, yeah, that contrast. So that's again, in, in very short, um, what kind of the journey, but yeah. 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 It's such a specific kind of journey. Like it's not something like, I don't know. I hear people compare, 
um, recovery from an eating disorder to like recovery if you have like a drug problem or an alcohol addiction. And it's so different because we need food. I was going to say, you need to eat every day. (laughs) Yeah. It's something you have to face every single day, multiple times. When you like, if you have a drug problem, like the goal is to just get that out of your life. Not saying that that's easy by any means, but it's just so different. And so there's so much that comes with recovery from eating disorder stuff. Like I found it so interesting because every single conversation and every single like issue, I felt like I started to work through and treatment I would bring to my therapist there. And every single thing came back to connection with my body and listening to my body. And like every single question I asked that felt like it was the answer. And I remember towards the end, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I can summarize this whole entire experience by just like, how do I relate with myself? And so we had to write these letters back and forth, which actually was kind of the initial start for my idea for this podcast of like a letter from yourself to your body or a letter, then a letter back from your body to yourself. And it was super eye-opening. Um, you said you did some outpatient work with this stuff a while back, right? Yeah, I, I went to an outpatient like facility um here and there um I kind of went in for a consultation and I had already been seeing like a therapist and was kind of on a meal plan so I didn't necessarily have to like go into treatment but I did see um I did have like eating disorder specialized therapy for like a year probably every like twice a week Mm, what, what was that like um, similar to like what you said, how it, it generally comes down to that relationship with your body and just the general relationship with self. Um, I just didn't realize like my eating disorder was a really good distraction for everything else that I was afraid of in my life. Um, I was really afraid in college to actually pursue music. Um, like even though I came to Nashville to do it and because I wasn't actually doing the things I knew I needed to, um, health and fitness was like my outlet. And it was funny because I worked at a, at the gym at Belmont where I went to school and people would ask me if I was a personal trainer and I would almost get offended. And there's obviously nothing wrong with being a personal trainer, but I would get offended because like in my heart and soul, I'm like, I'm a musician. Like, why don't you know that? And it was just because I was just like, and people would be like, well, you're here all the time. You know, you're always, you're always working or you're always like talking about like health and fitness and stuff. And it was, it was a hard pill for me to swallow. It was like, so a big reason why I had my eating disorder was because it was a distraction from the doing the things I was afraid of so every time I could I could do music I could write it or I could like plan a release or something like that I would instead like look up health things or just and again there's like nothing wrong with that if it's a healthy intention but in that case it just wasn't healthy at all I I just was afraid of like getting fat and therefore like being unacceptable (laughs) which I just thought were related which makes no sense um but anyway yeah so I'm sorry, I went off a little bit on a tangent, but yeah. Oh no, go off on all the tangents, please. (laughs) I can relate a lot to what you're saying there because I feel like we had this whole, we did these things called agendas, which was um, one of the people on our treatment team would give us kind of like a journal prompt to write, basically based on things we were talking about or working through. Um, And a, a big thing that I had to write about was what... I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it was kind of like how I find, oh, I think it was how I find relief in diet and exercise and how I use that to distract myself like you were talking about. And when you think about how much 
time a day, I think even now still, sadly, like how much time of the day is spent thinking about food or thinking about exercise. And especially like when you're in the height, like the prime of an eating disorder, it's like it takes up everything. And so a big thing for me, basically whenever I have like struggles in a relationship or have like a hard therapy session or anything that I'm trying to like avoid or run away from just like you're saying like an eating diet and exercise is so distracting like whether it's looking up diets or running as much as you can or going to the gym it takes up so much space so much space and you just regret I mean like again it's so important to not regret because I there's so much I learned from my eating disorder and it made me who I am truly but it's so hard to not look back on that time and think of like how much I could have done (laughs) you know or how much fun I could have had or how much more present I could have been in my relationships or you know I mean there were just so many things and I just you know you can just let it spiral because you can all of a sudden form an identity with food and it's so weird because it's just like you know it's just like you know and that just became like the center of my conversations and it's just not who I am and I wasn't realizing too why I was unhappy it was like I did that and I thought it would solve something And I just was constantly unhappy. And I remember like the moment that I realized I needed recovery and needed to like um, change. um, I was like at a coffee shop and I was journaling. And all of a sudden I just got really honest with myself about some of the behaviors that I was having that I completely normalized that were just not okay. Like, because I was very controlled with it. Like I would never restrict to a certain, to a point that obviously would be dangerous. That would put me in the hospital, but that almost required more control because I, because it was just this like rigid, like I'm going to do just enough, you know, like I'm going to eat just enough to like live in the day and survive. But like, it can't be like more than this amount. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just like, it was so controlled to where it was like, I, I know that I have this problem and I can't let it go past this certain place. So it was just all control. Um, yeah, I don't know. Control is a big root of, for a lot of people. Oh yeah. That I had no idea that I had control issues or like perfectionist issues or anything in that kind of realm. And I like fought against my therapist with it. She was like, well, you're a perfectionist or you just want to control things. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I would, I got so mad at her and I would like throw, I would literally throw pillows at her. I I love that though. That's so honest. I I seriously love that. That's like, those are the best kind of sessions where you're just so present and you're just like, no, like, cause I've had that same thing happen to me. Like maybe not even with control questions. I've always known I've had issues with that. But like other questions, I'd be like, that's not true. Like it wasn't because I couldn't let him in. That's not why. And she'll be like, um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason you're so upset about that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why am I being so defensive also? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's always such a sign. <laughs> it really is. It's such a oh. sign. My gosh. So tell me more about the control thing. Like, what do you, what, like a, a question I was asked a lot, which I still kind of struggle to answer is just like, they would talk a, a lot about how with an eating disorder, we're trying to control our external world with our internal world. Like if I could control the amount of food I take in, I can control something out here, which sounds, I don't know if that's, I mean, it makes so much sense to me and I'm, I'm sure to you as well, but for someone without an eating disorder, I'm sure that's like, what the hell is wrong with you? 
Well, what I would tell those people is that honestly, most of us do that behavior in some way. So whether it be controlling your relationships or controlling your food or controlling at your job, because we all have areas in our lives where we don't have control. Like at the end of the day, none of us have control. Like look at this coronavirus, you know, like we do, we need to like, none of us have control. And honestly, most of us are control freaks in a sense. And so again, the people that don't get it with food would get it if you just said it in a way that they could relate. Like I see it with relationships, like romantic relationships all the time, like with friends and stuff where it's just like, okay, I don't feel like I have control over myself or my, or like my behaviors or the world or, you know, my external. So I'm going to control this person in my relationship. I'm going to have the upper hand. I'm going to, you know, does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Like, so there's always, I think there's like different ways to exert that sort of behavior. And so for me with my eating disorder, like I was saying like a little bit ago, it was the fact that I, um, wasn't doing music. And so I felt like, and I didn't realize that that was in my control. Do you know, I always just thought that like somebody would give me an opportunity or like somebody would make things happen for me and whatever. And so because that wasn't happening right away for me, like when I moved to Nashville and everything, I immediately like, because I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could control that. I controlled my eating. And Mm. so that's kind of like, I think the biggest reason why that happened, because truly once I started taking control of music, which is like a big, it was just such a big part of my life and like my passion, you know, what, no matter what happens with it, just the fact that I'm taking control of over it and like what, you know, like not in a super controlled, like diligent kind of way, but more of a, like, you know, I'm going to make this happen kind of thing. And not like wait for other people or an opportunity or something. I think once I like went towards that in like a loving, like open, honest way, all of a sudden the eating stuff got a lot easier. It's just funny how like, and that wasn't even with like extra therapy or extra anything. It was just a part of my life that I didn't know wasn't healed. And I didn't know that I wasn't addressing the best. So does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that that totally makes sense. What do you think you were, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, it was distracting you from things that you were, I might be quoting you wrong, but I think you were saying that you were afraid of, is that what you were saying? Yeah. I mean, I think I was just afraid of like, and this is a huge eating disorder mentality and behavior is like afraid of like taking up space and, you know, being present and being in the room. And like, I just think I always in my life was comfortable taking like the backseat and like my relationships and my friendships. And, um, and I'm not trying to like have pity for that. Like that's my fault and it's a mentality. Um, and I was always quieter and a little more introverted. Um, I mean with my friends, I wasn't, but in general, I think I just felt comfortable there. And so I think an eating disorder was a really natural place for me to like be because it was just like okay I can just be like quiet and small here does that you know what I mean and that is just the most toxic mentality I really believe that anybody could have is trying to make themselves smaller because it doesn't matter if you are meant to have like the most like quiet insignificant job in your entire life in the world or if you're going to be Beyonce like (laughs) like we're all significant and we're all important and we all have to see that you know in our own way so I guess if you just don't see that and you intentionally make yourself smaller like it's just it's so going against like every like good energy and just anything good you know what I mean absolutely where do you think that mentality comes from because I 100 million percent agree that 
a big part of mine was feeling afraid to take up space, like physically, emotionally, mentally. Like I felt like I had to fit in this teeny little box so everyone else could have all the airtime. But where do you think that comes from? Or at least like from, from your story or just in general? It's a great question. And I will say too, I feel like when we were working together, I, I felt like you had the potential to like be a front server and be like a much more active role. Not that like that's your dream to like do that or be that. But I mean, and again, I don't even think you worked that much, but I just felt like I could just see that in you. And I don't know if you like mm. saw that in your, you know, I, I just wanted to like say that as a side note, <laughs> Thanks, but I just, <laughs> no, I'm not even trying to like pump you up. I just really think like <laughs> you had that potential to be like more of a front runner in that, in that area. And yeah. I think maybe you did like bring yourself down of like, Oh, like I'm not that good at this or cause I think one time you were scheduled as a front and you were like nervous and like all this stuff. And I totally get that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, just saying, you know, from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. I was terrified of being a front. But anyways, I just wanted to say that, but, um, back to the question, um, you said what, what's the root of that you think? Yeah, like whether regarding just your personal story or just in general, why do you think we make ourselves smaller? God, there's so, yeah, there's so many ways to do that. I'll say in my personal story, it was, God, it's hard to say like the root of that because I've always just felt like I've had a, an issue with my self-confidence. Just, mm -hmm. it's like just been an inherent thing and it wasn't, and even with all the therapy I had and talking about like my family and trauma, like I have the best parents and it would just be like a crime to like blame them for that. Um, you know, all parents make mistakes and stuff, but like they they weren't like the reason for my confidence issues. It was always a very inherent thing. I think it was just like with my friends, I, since I was little, we moved around a good amount. I like was born in Wisconsin, moved to Iowa, then to Texas and back to Wisconsin. So I was always making new friends and I was looking back on my life in college. I remember and thinking to myself, it's interesting how all the friends that I've ever chosen, like, cause I've always been a person who like finds a best friend and then we just like are attached to the hip and do everything together. Yeah. And everywhere that I lived, I would like find a best friend and every like best friend that I had was always the, the kind of personality type to like be the loudest in the room, like the most important person. She was always just like very, you know, like big. And I, and I think I just naturally got used to the dynamic of giving that person the limelight. And it's not like I've ever had this huge desire to be like center of attention. Um, but it was more of a, like, you know, it should be more of an equal, uh, you know, playing field, you know, it should be like a give and take with a friendship. And I think I just always, since I was really little, like picked these friends that made me feel really small. And so, so many times it's really just who you choose to surround yourself with and they can condition your brain to thinking that, and same thing with relationships, like romantically, you know, people that you date, like, or whatever, it's like you can be conditioned to think you're smaller and just keep by habit picking people just like that, you know, unless you decide to do better. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think that's relationships were, is probably the main answer to that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I've actually, I wish I remember exactly what she said, but something one of the staff members would talk a lot about is like us or at least in my in my story, like if I had a bad, like I had a really difficult relationship with one of my 
well, most of my family members growing up, um, for the sake of if any of them are listening, uh, <laughs> I had a, a difficult relationship with one of my family members growing up, and I felt like a lot of the friendships, which that relationship looked a lot like she's the hero, I'm the like little sidekick type person, kind of like how you, yeah, described that just very much like I am here to do what she needs and I want her approval and her attention and I'm going to like shift and mold myself in order to fit that. To be what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one second. Sorry. I don't have COVID, I promise. (laughs) I was afraid of catching it through my microphone. So thank you for saying that. (laughs) So you never know, man. I learned that later in life, I started to kind of like find these different friendships that looked like that friendship. And I don't know, like that's probably this like really psychological thing that I won't even know how to bridge the surface of understanding or explaining, but just kind of about like trying to finish that process or maybe trying to have more control in that. Like they talk a lot about... um, in different situations of like sexual assault and violence and whatnot, a lot of the times, like after that kind of thing happens to somebody, they feel like they want to have the upper hand or the more control in that later in life. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like they try and not, not try to like find a similar thing like that, but it's just like in relationships post assault, they want to feel like they have, the control, if it looks anything like that, to feel more safe. And I felt like even in just like friendships and stuff uh, that looked similar to the relationship I had with the person in my family, I felt like I wanted to kind of like re-experience that, but where it ended good to where it's like, I can complete that process type of thing. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, yeah. That's a very human way of handling it, you know, of just like a kind of a natural balance of like, I, and unconsciously you felt not powerful in this situation. And so you, you know, you will pick a relationship or an experience where you do feel powerful. Um, And I think a lot of the times we do that without consciously realizing it because we really aren't taught as a society to reflect very often on our choices and behaviors. And so we just sort of do them. I almost wish I would have done that, to be honest with you. I wish I would have like sort of shifted the power dynamic a little bit. To be fair, actually, what am I saying? I kind of did in my in a weird way. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. No, because actually, that's so funny. We're talking about this because in my friendships, like girl friendships and like guy friendships, whatever. Um, I always, yeah, was like, like was smaller, you know, and like let myself be smaller. But then when it came to relationships, it was the total opposite. It was like, it was like my mindset was totally different. Like, and I like wouldn't let any guy in ever because like I had to, and I had to have the power. And so I would even like lead guys on for like long periods of time because I think you're right. So when it's like you experience that, in your like that lack of power somewhere else it's going to show up where you're making up for it and that's just interesting now that I'm saying it out loud that's kind of that kind of makes sense yeah absolutely it's like I, I like I knew I was like that but I didn't relate the two as much so that's super funny yeah it's super interesting and definitely a big thing you learn when you like you were saying 
get really reflective and whatnot. I feel like you're a very introspective person. Would you, would you say that? Yeah. Like too much. So it's annoying. Like I, I feel <laughs> like I, if I go like a couple days without journaling, I'm just like, woe is me. Like I, <laughs> have, I have to get my journal and I have to go to a coffee shop and I have to reflect on my three days of quarantine doing nothing. Like Jamie, oh what God. are you even going to write about? Like the TV show you watched? <laughs> Jamie, I love you. I'm so the same. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. How, do you feel like you've um, always been super reflective? Like when did that kind of thing start with you? Yeah. I mean, I've always been more reflective than my peers, but I think I got, I started to get really reflective in college because I moved to Nashville, like really on my own accord. It was the first thing I did like for me ever, probably um, like real big thing. I mean, um, it was just kind of like my parents definitely didn't want me to come to Belmont. Um, like they wanted me to like, ha like follow my dreams, but like they just loved me and wanted me to be close or whatever. And I was just like, Nope, I'm going and I'm the, and so I feel like once I got to Nashville and I had trouble with some friend stuff, like my freshman year at Belmont. And so it gave me a lot of time to spend by myself. And so that was the first time that I truly started to like learn about myself and reflect probably mm. like yeah. intensely and like most days kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. Um, I feel like for me, because I'm a big journaler too. And I feel like when I'm journaling, that's like my favorite thing to do as far as connecting with myself. Like that was a really big thing they would ask us a lot was like, what are different ways that you connect with your body? Are you, you feel the most present? I guess, suppose. And journaling was really helpful for me with my mind, but I've been trying really hard to find things to do like physically with my body that helped me feel really connected what, what are some what are some things that you would say help you feel the most connected to yourself like my physical body or like just in general like mind body um probably both just any part yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say definitely journaling. That's my number one. I've journaled since I was in like first grade. I don't, I just love it. Um, I've written some stupid stuff. Sometimes I go back and like read my old journals and I'm like, what? <laughs> Dear diary. What? And I was like so dramatic for no reason. <laughs> like I, like that's the funniest. Like I look back sometimes when I'm home, I'll like read old journal entries and it, I'll like the whole journal will just be me like complaining about my life. And then there will be one entry of me being like, okay just wanted to say like my life isn't that bad <laughs> oh my god it's like I'm like so pathetic <laughs> anyway um, just in case someone reads it and gets really worried I know it's like I always just envision like the world reading my journals I'm like nobody's ever gonna read these like who what am I trying to prove but, oh, man, that's um, funny. but yeah journaling's number one um Fitness is important to me. I mean, working out has always been an interesting relationship and that's been a huge journey for me because with my eating disorder, uh, working out like compulsion was a huge part of that. It, um, because I never really was at a point where I was like eating like 800 calories a day. I would more so like be in a very controlled, like, uh, like, 1200 calories or less and on top of a lot of working out does that make sense so it was kind of like yeah. it was just low enough kind of thing and um but yeah anyways I used to do a ton of cardio when I was in my eating disorder like phase um and that just 
I really force myself to do that like every day. And I swear I have like PTSD thinking of like the, the days, but I just did not want to, but I would make myself go on like runs or do like interval training. And I'm just like so different now. Like I just, I do not work out unless I like really want to, or unless it just makes me feel really good. And I almost stick completely to strength training and like long walks. So yeah. it, it just feels like something I could stick to for a long time. Cause I feel like we ha we live in this society that's so like result oriented and so whenever mm -hmm. we want to like go on diets or anything it's all like I'm doing this to establish or to get a result and people do like eat chicken and broccoli and then they like run and I'm like what do you think is going to happen after that like you know like what yeah. like when you like lost your weight or something um like you know your habits are going to go back to being negative and I don't know so it's just one of those things where I feel like I've um like established a good relationship with fitness now, which is huge. So yeah. I would say, yeah, journaling and fitness, but that's always okay. evolving, you know, like what you do with your body. Absolutely. What, tell me more about like the fitness journey. Cause that's something that I've struggled with too, is trying to figure out like how to have a healthy relationship with movement and exercise and how to figure out like if I actually enjoy running or if I'm just running to compensate for food or what even the hell I'm doing? Right? Like, Doesn't that, that suck? Like? That whole narrative in your mind sucks so much because so many people just don't get that. You know, yeah. if I like bring that up to somebody, they'll be like, I mean, just like go run or like don't, you know, <laughs> like it's so chill. And I'm like, but you don't get it. It's like, <laughs> it's yeah. so much more. Yeah. Um, I personally, since I've recovered from my eating disorder in the last like I'm 26 now. So like, I don't know, three years, um, of like considering myself most like pretty recovered with obviously like other things to, it's always a journey. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, um, for sure. but you know, just like the bad behaviors, like out the window kind of thing. But during that time, I, there were, have been so many times where I've tried to take running back up again. And it's not to say that I don't enjoy running like every now and then when I just want to, or when I want to like just get some steam out or something, but like in general, like for me, and again, this is for me, like I just don't enjoy running, which was just a huge wake up call. Cause I literally ran every day for like four or five years. And mm. to recognize that you did something you didn't enjoy every day, was just like a lot. Um, so yeah, I would say since then I've just found a love for strength training and just found, I think everybody has like a different part of being active that they can resonate with. Like, yeah. like whether it's like a, like for you, it could like have to do with horseback riding you know how everybody just has like activities or hobbies that they like, like tennis or golf or just like, I, there's so many ways to be active. Or if you're a social person, I find like running with friends or like walking with friends. Like I think it, you just, for me, I just try to make anything I do actively like, have a good energy behind it you know yeah absolutely I think that that says so much even to just look at the past you said like four or five years you're running every day yeah like from like 18 to like 23 I mean yeah. like every day and so isn't that trippy to think that you could make yourself do something for so long that you don't even enjoy or I don't know suck oh my gosh no for sure like that's so insane the idea of looking back at this thing you made yourself do every day and then realizing you don't like it. Like what's the actual point of making yourself run or make yourself just eat chicken and broccoli and that like what cut like it's kind of like that mindset is like your your whole life revolves around 
losing weight or looking like this. Like, that's so sad. It's so sad. And it's one of those things that it's totally fine to like do the chicken and broccoli thing and like run if you're a person who just has never had a problem with an eating disorder and just like and honestly is mostly focused on their life and doesn't even think about food much you know like mm-hmm. I, it really it's like it's it's different in every case but like for me I just feel like unfortunately like I'm never gonna be in a place where I like my eating disorder is totally gone you know and I've accepted yeah. that and it's fine because it's made me like a really intentional conscious person when it comes to food and when it comes to my body so I don't hate it about myself but I just know that I I can't be the person who like eats chicken and broccoli every you know like five times a day or something um just depends on you know your personality type and what you've gone through yeah for sure for sure they were saying like because a lot of people would ask questions about like once I'm stable in recovery can I go on diets or can I do this or can I do keto or that there's so much like just to risk in that. I'm glad people were asking that question in recovery because I think a lot of people are afraid to ask questions like that when they're thinking them, you know? Yeah. And if you don't ask the question and talk about it, then like you, you're probably going to go do that and you're going to screw yourself over. Yeah, absolutely. And they kind of like would answer in this way of saying like, say you in recovery by eating like your full meal plan and like the all foods fit and health at every size, like all of that kind of thing. Like that's your mindset. You're like standing firmly, like in the middle of this mountain or like on the top of a mountain. And then you decide you want to go on a diet. Then you're going to stand right. You're going to move from like the safe spot to the very edge. It'd be easier if I could show you in person. I'm like moving my hands, realizing you can't see what I'm doing. I I kind of like, I'm getting an idea of what you're talking about though. Okay, good. But like, so if you're like trying to go on a diet, then you'd move over all the way to like the edge of the cliff and have that risk of like falling off and going back into eating disorder world, which is like not worth it at all. It just steals so much of your life. And it's like, I don't know. I I had a really hard time at the beginning with the mindset of like, you can't go on a diet. But then when I realized why would I want to go on a diet versus just, first of all, diets don't work. Second of all, what's the point of trying to like, I don't know, change yourself into something that you're not supposed to be. And also you have to just think in the long term. Like I think when people are thinking diet, they just always think so short term and they don't think of their entire lives, you know, because it's not about like overeating every day. You know, it's not, it's not like by not going on a diet, you're just going to eat a million calories a day. No, it's like, it's your body has a natural balance and a natural inclination to tell you when it's full and like, you know, and satiated and not. And so you have to kind of just give your body that opportunity to like relearn the right signals and cues and and just find that balance again because I mean again for me whenever if I have like a day or something where I eat like like a lot or something and I feel uncomfortable because that's that to me I hate you know regardless of eating disorder or not I hate when I feel like uncomfortably full or something I'm just not comfortable but um and I'll think to myself though instead of like getting mad at myself anymore I think long term I, I think to myself okay I have like a super long life ahead of me. Like this is one day where I ate a lot of food. Like 
okay, you know, you just go to sleep and then just like eat normally tomorrow, the next day, you know, it's just about, because a lot of the time, a big reason why people even become like obese or something, or just like out of balance the other way is because they get mad at themselves for like overeating. And then from a, like a, I hate myself place, they'll keep overeating. They'll be like, ah, like I give up or something, you know, but it's really, it's just this natural, like, I'm going to be easy on myself and just be like, you know, whatever my body's like telling me, I, I just mean there's like a natural balance and you don't have to rely on like your mind at that point. Cause I think mm -hmm. like sometimes we get way too caught up because we've just relied on our mind for so long, like with food, because our, we've like manipulated our brain to tell us like when we're hungry versus like our body, I guess. Oh, for sure. Like there was a whole thing about like when you put your body into starvation mode, then you totally lose track of what hungry even feels like and what full even feels like. And you like lose those hunger fullness cues and getting them back is so hard. It's like you have to retrain yourself to know, oh, I like feel this way. That means I probably should have a snack or, oh, I'm like really tired. Like versus because I used to just if I was tired, that was my sign to drink another cup of coffee. But maybe it means no, you should eat lunch. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, Do you oh. know how many times like even post like my eating disorder, but like working at the restaurant, I will have days where I'll unintentionally, truly unintentionally, I like will barely eat all day. And then I will be on my feet for like seven or eight hours. And then I'm just I get home and I'm too tired to like make a meal. So I like eat something for a snack. I go to sleep. And the next day I'm so exhausted. I can't even like do anything yeah. like and and that's like it's just one of those things where it like reminded me I'm like oh my god this is what happens you know when you don't yeah. like like being tired is not just like a natural human state you know it's just like you're underfed probably or undernourished you know oh absolutely I cannot tell you how much energy I had the first like I think after like week two, I was trying my best to eat the whole meal plan because I thought if I did everything I was supposed to do, they would let me go home, which was not the case. So <laughs> I, was trying, I, I feel was like everybody thinks that they're oh, like, all yeah. right, I'll follow the rules and then I'll get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Four months later. Cool, guys. Cool. Um, but I, I was trying so hard and I'm happy I did because it kind of like prove to myself that, oh, if you eat this full meal plan and if you don't go running while you're eating the full meal plan, you're not going to completely lose control of yourself and the world's not going to end. And actually nothing's really going to change that much, except you're going to feel a million times better. Oh my God. I have to say something to that. Cause this was so rivet, like a huge thing for me. Like I didn't realize that all of a sudden my biggest fear after like those towards when I was starting to get recovery, I re realized like while journaling or at therapy that my biggest fear was gaining weight. And my biggest fear was what would happen if I actually ate enough food and sat down <laughs> and like just didn't yeah. move. And I did that. And it not only was, was I fine, but I was actually better. And there was, there's something so riveting about like facing your biggest fear like, because, you know, when that's all that you focus on, it just becomes your biggest fear. It was like, I was almost more afraid of that than like, you know, just anything else. And once I faced that and realized it was fine, it was almost like in the big picture of life, I just felt more free. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, wow, if like, if I can face my biggest fear that I've developed over time and with my personal experience and life journey and have it be fine, it's probably going to be like that in other areas too. You know, if my, yeah. if my biggest fear is being vulnerable in relationships or like, 
you know, getting like really like sick or just like anything like that. I feel like the things that are our biggest fear are never that bad when we actually experience them, you know, or, or, or they make us stronger or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it kind of just like is a process of you proving to yourself that you can get through it and the world's not going to end. And it just, oh, it changes so much. Like I remember it was, I think it was like my six week mark when I looked back and I realized like, oh my gosh, I have been for like the best I could following my meal plan. I haven't gone running and I have shown up and been vulnerable and I'm actually doing really well and the world didn't end and my body didn't go out of control and I feel good. And I'm having like, some of these like relationships and connections that I experienced there just because you're in this bubble where 24 seven, your whole entire job is to be introspective as hell and talk about every deep thing you can ever think of. It's such a weird way to live life. Oh my God. It is weird, but it's so important. And when you were just saying that it made me think of, and what you did at that treatment center was just for you. You know what I mean? It wasn't for anybody else. And like, I, you strike me as the kind of person who maybe like just does things for other people a lot and you don't maybe even realize it or something, but I feel like Mm -hmm. there's something so cool about just being like, no, I'm going to make myself the priority. And when you do that, the world doesn't end and people still love you. And you know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Amen. I appreciate that. And it's so, it was just such a like, just like what you were saying, like after you're like facing this thing that really is your biggest fear, because it's not just like, it's not just a cupcake. Like it's so much more than a cupcake. It's like, it's not just not running. Like there's so much underneath what that means and what it's letting like, go and being, and it's like gaining weight and, and being what you think. Like to me, what do you associate with gaining weight? Like for me, it was like being undesirable or like people or like people wouldn't like me or want to be around me or I wouldn't have like my looks as a sort of card, you know, in life. Like that's how I felt at the time. And it was just a totally different experience than that. Like it, like when I gained weight and you know, it was like, I was a different kind of beautiful. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily like I couldn't even compare myself to like what I had looked like before because I just looked different. And I had this like, and you know what was really funny is like I realized too, it was like um, I had this like energy and vibrance to me that like made me feel more beautiful than like any physicality could ever do. And that's where that whole like confidence comes from within thing stems from, you know, because it's like, it's not about this sort of like, because anybody, even if you like look like exactly what all the magazines tell you to look like or something even if you look like that like if you don't feel beautiful or if you don't like feel confident or aren't healthy like you don't see it and it does not matter like there was a period where I was just like where I got I don't know I got in the best shape ever quote unquote um like not actually best but you know what I mean just like super toned and like super thin and I like just I don't know I just made my looks like the highest of priority and no matter how much attention I got I did not care like I just wasn't happy I was so unhappy like I'd go out with my friends and I would end every night crying no matter how many people would talk to me no matter and then like my friends would be confused and I just would be like I'm gonna leave early and all this stuff so it just shows it comes from within you know it doesn't matter how much attention you get or anything yeah oh I totally relate to that when I was at like I think just the smallest I'd ever been, which was always my goal, just be as small as you possibly can be, which is just so sad in every kind of regards. 
But like you still, and I don't know if it's like, I mean, it probably has things to do with body dysmorphia and whatever, but it's such a mentality thing. It's like, it's never enough and you're never good enough. And if that's the track that you're on, you're never going to reach this place of, oh, cool. I'm good. Now I'm going to live normal. It was just like, it's just this ball. Honestly, it's just a giant like face plant constantly and it's just like the the scariest realization to work that hard at something you know and be there finally and then have to look in the mirror and be like wait where is it like where's the happiness where's the contentment because I have gone on like during my eating disorder phase I would I would kind of sector it into multiple different like weight loss I don't know like moments because it was just like I would lose a bunch of weight and then I would gain some of it back and then I would go back into a different diet to lose a bunch more weight and then I would gain some of it back do you know what I mean so it was like and every time it, it was like different I and like the first time I lost weight even though I was the thinnest I'd ever been I was I was a little bit happier because I did go because it was my first time ever doing it. And so I just was like, um, so I didn't think of it as a big deal. And like, I just didn't make a beat and I didn't attach myself to it or identify with it. Um, but then all of a sudden when I gained some weight back and this is what happens to a lot of girls that I've talked to, it's like, the first initial weight loss, you don't really have the eating disorder thoughts as much. Well, you do, but you don't really realize them. Um, And then all of a sudden you gain some weight back and then all you can think is like, oh no, I have to get back there. Like I have to, and I will do anything to get back there. And through that desperation kind of energy, that's when the, the like extremes come. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but that's just something that happened to me. And I've talked to some other people of like how the first time you do like lose weight, it's like, I don't know, you don't develop as intense of like a disorder. It's just kind of like, a, oh, like, you know, I, I've got a little healthier and I changed this, but then all of a sudden you lose it or you like, or start to gain, gain weight back. And I don't know. Yeah. That's just like my experience with it. But yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think that that's even like talked about, at least in my story and some other people I've talked to as well, like a big trigger of their eating disorder is if you like get the flu or something and you get sick, really sick and you lose a lot of weight and you realize like, Oh cool. Wow. I look, I look good. And then the second you start to eat normal or like gain any of it back, that's when the downward spiral kind of starts. It's like, no, but I have to get back to at least that. And that's when the obsession starts. Exactly. It's, it's the like after that kind of fact, it's like that, that desperation of like, Oh no, I can't lose this. And then you have to ask yourself why, like, what if you did, what would, what would happen? (laughs) Like, who would you be? And yeah. So those questions are just so important. Like, to ask yourself but the cool thing about going through something like this at a younger age you know in your 20s and something that you have gone to treatment for I've gotten therapy for things like that because you know it doesn't just teach you about an eating disorder or a cupcake you know it's a, oh, yeah. it's your entire life and so I don't know what what, what do you think just to turn it around because I want to ask you like um in terms of like big life lessons, like it released like um, walking away from treatment. What were some of the more surprising lessons that didn't even relate to eating that kind of came out for you? Yeah, that's a great question and super, super relevant too. just because like, I think my favorite thing about treatment was that it wasn't about the food, like the place I went to focused the most on trauma and the stuff underneath it, because that's really where the healing is. Like you can eat a meal plan, but if you don't talk about why you think it's hard to eat a meal plan, you're just going to go back to starving yourself. Um, I think some of the biggest things that I 
found out, like the biggest one I think is definitely my relationship with my body. Like I was saying before of like, most of this is just learning that my body is actually trying to help me and has this way that it's supposed to be. And my worth and value do not change at all based on my body. And like, if I want to eat a cupcake, that doesn't mean anything about me other than cool. I ate a cupcake. It doesn't mean I'm a failure or I'm like, dirty or lazy or any of those things. And then I think like, I've always really struggled with trusting myself. Um, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. Just like making decisions and choices or having friends that I do or whatnot. Like from a young age, I was kind of like between me and my sister, I was the scapegoat. And so I felt like, everything I was going to do was going to be wrong. And I felt like there was this like badness in me. And this was a really, really big, like we, me and my therapist in treatment kind of talked about my journey as kind of like an onion. Like we kept pulling back more and more and more until you got kind of to the bottom of what the root of the things are. And I think right before leaving, I found that I feel like there's been this like inherent badness in me that's not true but like I just from a young age I've believed that and so I respond to that by living with kind of like arms out to people and don't get too close to you like see this like little badness or I am just inevitably going to make the wrong choices because I'll compare myself to like my sister and I'll be like well she didn't have an eating disorder or she this didn't happen to her or she didn't get into this or that but I did so I'm the wrong one so I need her approval to tell me if I'm safe or not because I don't feel safe in my own skin so I don't feel safe making my own decisions because I see things that have happened and be like, well, that's where that led me, which is all not true at all. Yeah, it's just like how our minds work. And they did these things called um, schemas. I don't know if it's just something they did or if have you ever heard of like schemas? I don't know if that's a I've heard the thing. word, but remind me. Uh, well, they talked about them as just like lenses that we see our lives through. And so we took like during the admissions process, we took this huge, it seemed like a personality test, but it was mainly for insurance. So they can kind of see like, cause insurance works best with like seeing numbers and like graphs and like how your treatment's going. So we'd have to do these assessments every month and we can, super annoying, but it was like a big personality test. And at the end they gave us this packet with our schemas on them, which are all these different ways that we see life through. And so like we were given like top three schemas. So like mine was the first one was abandonment. So it's like through everything that happens, you're going to see through the lens of fear of abandonment, kind of like Enneagram type stuff. Yeah. 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 And then there's like failure to achieve or there's, um, uh, recognition seeking and they all come from us as kids and whatever that looked like it shaped us and not like not in a sense of like blaming our parents and anything like that. It's just inevitably things are going to happen in life and your brain is going to decide that or not decide, but it's just going to do what it can to survive. And that's how we're going to learn life works. And so, yeah, I, a lot in that area, a lot of stuff that I want to work out. And sometimes that, that voice, yeah. That like, 
that voice that's trying to protect us or whatever. Like the first therapist I saw trying to get help from my eating disorder, who actually I ended up going to see someone else because she admittedly was like, I'm, I don't specialize in eating disorders, but she was great to see for like a little bit because she helped me with some other stuff that ended up being related. But she talked a lot about this concept of like, and she actually kind of created the concept, but it's related to what you're talking about of like having your like adult chair and your like child chair. And like, so when you're like thinking about yourself and your life, like that voice, that's sort of like maybe telling you not to trust yourself or that you're not good enough or that anything. It's just like the way she described it as being like a, like your inner child or your childlike version of yourself, just trying to protect you, mm. you know? And I think what can happen, especially when people are younger and when you're like a teenager, your adult self, your adult chair isn't there to tell your child chair, like, Hey, it's really sweet that you're like trying to protect me right now. And you're trying to like help me and keep me safe. But like, I'm good. You know, I, I'm going to be okay. And when you yeah. don't have, and I remember like seeing her for the first time and she asked me to, she's like, can you envision yourself as an adult? And I was sitting there like a 22 year old adult. And I literally <laughs> was like, no, I was like, I can't, I can't. Because on a real level, like, although I could put on a really good show for other people, like I could hold jobs well and present myself well at my internships and school and everything like on a real level I didn't see myself as an adult because I wasn't acting in a way that I was proud of I guess um mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if other people are proud of you but if you're not proud of yourself you're not going to feel like an adult you know and yeah. so for me I just was like oh no like I don't have that adult self. I don't even know who, like who that is. So I, so when that childhood, like the narrative will come into your head of like, no, don't do that. Like they, like they're, you're not good enough for that or you're not smart enough for that. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you aren't able to like rationally tell that child voice to be like, Hey, it's okay. Like chill. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess compartmentalize that compartmentalizing that is really helpful for, or has been for me. Yeah, that sounds like a very cool exercise and so, so important, especially when it's like, I don't know how we're trying to keep ourselves alive and letting our child self know like, hey, that worked back then, but I, we're doing something different now. Like we actually don't need to do that or we don't need to starve ourselves. Or Exactly. And I think for me being like an artist and always being a musician and I had like a lot of musician friends and stuff, like I think poor mental health was sort of glamorized in a way like mm -hmm. it was just like it was just part of your art or it was just like you know kind of like just a part of it it was just a thing it was a given it was a given to be and I'm sure you as a writer too you know it's like yeah it's just like any creative field it's like it's oh okay apparently just going to be a given to like be really depressed or be really anxious and I think so I sort of like found this glamour in me being this like sort of like detached sort of depressed anxious musician and like that's just where I sat and it was funny because I didn't even write my best music there I didn't like I wasn't my best self there at, at all um but it was just where I thought I belonged or something I don't know <laughs> yeah no that makes a lot of sense and so interesting to think about too I I was who was I talking to someone was telling me about how she felt like she could only create art when she was struggling and she didn't know how to create art if she didn't have some kind of like emotional crisis going on and it makes so much sense and it's see it's I don't kind of, love that narrative though like I I get it I really do get it um and it's totally a great thing to write when you're like it's a great outlet when you're like sad or something but the people that like 
only feel that sort of like, you know, pull to do that in those areas, you know, I think that's an opportunity to kind of look at and reflect on like, why is that? Yeah. yeah. You know, do you really love that? Like, do you love writing music or do you love creating? Because if you're only doing it from that space, again, it's a great outlet, but it's just something to think about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jamie, what would you, my, my one, well, actually, before I ask this question, is there any, is there anything that we didn't talk about or cover that you want to make sure you share or anything like that, that you think would be important for the conversation? Well, we, yeah, we covered a lot of really cool things, actually. I feel like just, it, I haven't talked about this in a while, so it was great to kind of yeah. unco- like re-uncover some of this stuff for sure. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think the last thing I'll just like mention, cause I didn't like talk enough about it. Like, obviously there are a lot of psychological ways to address like eating disorders and, um, everybody's so different in their journey but I think just finding like the most like just making it the most priority to just love yourself and accept yourself where you're at you know I mean I know that it's simple but I just think if we really like honed in on that principle as a society and especially in the world of eating disorders like no matter how bad things get you know even if you fall off the wagon if you have worked on loving yourself no matter what that'll always make you okay you know Yes. So that's I, just I like that. something I want to preach all the time in my life. So I just, every opportunity I get, I'm like, mm, I'm going to pepper that in. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, super, super important. My, well, I've, I've kind of, well, I've got one and a half more questions for you. Um, what would you, and the answer to my last one might even be part of your answer to this one, but like, what, what would you tell yourself at like probably your lowest moment when all of this started to kind of, I guess when you started like your downhill time, like um, you said you were 18. Yeah. When it started. Yeah. Yeah. What would you tell your 18 year old self? Hmm. Um, now, like just what would I tell her? Honestly, well, it's hard to say because I think I would tell something different to the person who just hadn't even embarked on this eating disorder journey yet. I would probably, I would quite honestly, and, and this is like hard to even say, but I would just say, you know, learn these lessons and just reflect and be, you know, because they, they've made me who I am. I, I, I don't wish it didn't happen, you know, but I think if I was talking though, to like the person who had experienced some of it and was just like in a really low place with it, I would just probably tell them to be honest with myself, like stop lying to yourself. Cause I think it was just like, even though I, like I told you, I've always been a really reflective and introspective person. So everybody was really surprised when like, you know, when I said I had these issues, cause they're like, Oh, but you are always journaling and reflecting and stuff. And I think the thing is, is that whatever we tell ourselves is our reality. And so no matter how much I reflected and journaled, like I was still lying to myself. I would tell myself what I was doing is okay. And so I guess I would just tell, I would tell myself, and this is a bit of like a harder truth, but just like, be honest with yourself, like stop lying, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's good. I love what you said too about like learn these lessons. I think that that's so important because like I was listening to some, po- I think, you know, Glenn, I've talked about Glenn and Doyle a million times. Have I ever talked about I just started movie? Untamed. <laughs> I've, I like, I read Love Warrior like a couple years ago and it blew my mind. I've loved her so good. forever. Dude, she's the dream. I'm so happy you're reading Untamed. We'll have to talk about that later. I totally get that you like love her because I feel like you guys just, that just makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. But she has this whole part. I don't know if it's in that book or just in some podcast or something where she talks about like what it means to like be a mother and how a lot of moms think that 
to be a good mother, you have to be a martyr and like protect your kid from experiencing any pain. So she was like going to stay in her bad marriage to protect her kids from having to feel pain when actually like being a mom means like letting your kid, I'm probably butchering. No, I I know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. Yeah, like letting your kids experience the pain and like walking through it with them and showing them what love is versus trying to model something else just to keep them from feeling hurt. And it reminds me a lot of that, like what you're saying, kind of just in how we look at our younger selves. Like if you were to talk to 18-year-old Jamie and be like, I don't want to keep you from feeling and experiencing this, but like learn your lessons and let's love ourselves and be honest, like in the middle of it. Right. And I know it's going to be okay. Like basic thing to say, but it's just like, I think sometimes it's like when you're just so in the moment, you just think it's not going to be okay. You know, like you just think it's like, yeah, but it's just always believe it's going to be okay. Cause even if like, if it's not, you're better off believing that it's going to (laughs) be, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. 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 Okay. My one last final question for you is a bit of a change of pace. Um, Are you ready for my last question, Jamie? I am ready for my last question, Jackie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, Jade Money. Would you rather have Hannah Montana as your personal assistant? She's not that good of an assistant. She's really not that great. She keeps you entertained. She, like, is kind of, like, the basic standard gets your stuff done for you. She occasionally has an attitude problem. But you have an assistant, and that assistant is Hannah Montana, and that's kind of cool. Or would you rather work as Lizzie McGuire's person? You know Lizzie McGuire, right? Um, yes. Okay, good. Some people don't. I'm just making sure. Um, you should <laughs> not be friends with them. That's all I'm saying. Okay, they're out. Good to know. Oh my gosh. Or would you rather be Lizzie McGuire's personal assistant and she's a really cool boss. It like takes up a lot of your time. She's pretty cool. You're a pretty good assistant. You're not like the world's best assistant, but you're pretty good at it. And she likes to take you to really cool parties once in a while. Ooh, tough. Okay. Um, I think I would probably have Hannah Montana as my assistant mm-hmm. just because... You know, at this phase of my life, I don't need that much done for me. So she doesn't need to be that competent. She can even be a little bit annoying, you know, but at least there's someone doing stuff for me rather than me having to help someone out and be an assistant. Cause like, that just sounds terrible. (laughs) Oh my God. That's a good answer. And I like, I feel like you would get a lot of mad props for having the one and only Hannah Montana following you around. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's a valid question, though, because it's like, is it Hannah Montana? Does she ever get to be Miley as my assistant? Ooh. Like, because Maybe I feel like I'd like Miley off. better. Hannah Montana would be like a div. She'd be yeah, a diva. Yeah. Definitely a div scale. A little bit annoying. That wig would get, would get a, little a little bit old. old. I know. And whenever she would, I'd be like, all right, go back to Miley or you're fired. Yeah, that's probably something you could work out with her on your on your interview. Yeah, we'll figure that out. How often is she actually Hannah Montana? <laughs> Uh, upon request I can you will revert back to Miley (laughs) oh my my gosh dude good answer man well Jamie is there any way that you want people to follow you along on social media or like find your music for those listening Jamie is a badass musician so definitely check all that out but where where can people find you music all the things yeah um 
I, I would just, you can find my music anywhere if you just type in Jamie Jean music, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Jean, J-E-A-N. Um, but Spotify is like the main place that most people listen to the music, just because that's where everyone listens to music now. And my Instagram is Jamie Jean music, all one word as a handle. Okay, amazing. I will put all of that in the show notes below for any of you to go check out Jamie's stuff. She is the dream. Jamie, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I am so happy that we got to do this. I seriously had so much fun just now. Yes, Um, oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) Thank you for being on my podcast and for figuring out all the technical difficulties. Oh my God. (laughs) We made it, man. We did the thing. We did make it. (laughs) Okay, we're going to plan a time to hang out forget pandemics we'll be safe for those listening but we're gonna hang out because i miss you so much i miss you too yes okay i love you i will talk to you later okay i love you bye Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. If you enjoyed this show and you want to get involved and support me in this journey of making this podcast, then go to patreon.com slash Jackie GTV. If you would like to learn more about my story and what got me to this place and just the ins and outs of my mental health journey looking for myself, then you can check out my book, Finding Home, by going to my website, www.jackiegronland.com to go pick up a copy of that. Either of those things support me as an independent creative person so much, and I so greatly appreciate it. But thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.